welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. Uh, we are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments together. I uh, do want to remind you of this great resource that we use and reference quite often around here. It's called the U version. And uh, it's a free app that you can uh, download on your phone, on your device. It has the Bible translated into just about every language and paraphrase that you can imagine, has great reading plans that you can search for topically, and it has a complete set of notes. Just click on the menu in events, search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find a set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, we are going to jump right into our teaching. We're in a series called Powerful Life, and uh, the series is based on this reality that we cannot live lives that are full without power. We cannot get where we'd like to be without uh, the wherewithal and the power to get there. As I was thinking about our message this morning, I was reminded of a, an occasion. My wife and I uh, had gone on a, a outing into the wilderness with a, another young couple, and uh, we had a river raft uh, on the top of our car. We spent some time floating the river, and then we're driving uh, up over the mountain pass, and we stopped at a place called Clear Lake. Wonderful, wonderful spot. But uh, as we were standing there on the shore, uh, me and the other uh, man in the foursome decided it would be cool to row our river raft across the lake and meet our wives on the other side. Well, uh, we put the raft in the water. They took off around the lake. We set sail. And uh, as soon as we got about 50 yards offshore, the wind kicked up, and uh, we discovered that our river raft wasn't very seaworthy on the lake. In fact, it was blowing us back to shore. The harder we rode, uh, the closer to the shore we got, and, uh, until eventually our wives on the other side got tired of waiting for us, and they came looking for us, and needless to say, uh, they weren't real impressed by their, uh, their big, strong men who couldn't seem to pull away from the shore. Well, all of that to say it takes power to get where we want to be in life, uh, to live free, to live well. We have to discover that grit, that resiliency, that inner strength that God wants to fortify with his strength. In fact, uh, here's a truth that uh, is one of the linchpins of this series. It is not God's will for you to live an unempowered life. It is not God's will for you to not feel like you don't have the capacity and the capability to overcome and live through life's difficulties. Uh, one of our uh, core passages is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Paul writes to young Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You know that word that's translated timid? timidity. It actually has uh, these connotations. Uh, timid, as you might guess, fearful, afraid, cowardly. And uh, I would just say this, that's not a good way to live life. Uh, being timid and afraid and fearful and anxious and uh, shrinking back from the challenges of life, uh, it's not a good way to live. In fact, here are some syn synonyms of that word translated timidity. Uh, one of them is phoberos, and it sounds like the word phobia, and because it is, it's uh, at its root, uh, the phobias that we often wrestle against, or that which may cause flight, 
by the intimidation of adversaries. See, that's a, that's a spirit that God doesn't want us to have to live with, where we're always avoiding uh, the things that uh, challenge us. And we're always wishing they would just go away. We're threatened by the very existence of many of the conflicts and difficulties that we face in life. And uh, I'd ask you a question. How many of you learned, uh, have learned that avoiding your problems doesn't solve them? Uh, anybody else besides me uh, realize uh, avoiding our difficulties and our problems and our issues doesn't make them go away? In fact, time does not heal all wounds. When, when that's our uh, response, when out of uh, fear, or out of uh, our own sense of inability or inadequacy, when we avoid uh, the challenges of life, uh, that's actually a, a hothouse environment for growing our issues, for growing our problems. When we avoid them, they become worse. Uh, I recall the time when um, my wife and I, it was our first house we owned. It was 900 square feet, three-bedroom house. So you can imagine each of the rooms were like closet side. But uh, out back behind our house, we had a greenhouse. And uh, at one time, someone grew produce in that greenhouse. I do not have a green thumb. In fact, uh, I kill things that try to grow. And uh, on one occasion, uh, we went through the spring and summer. I didn't even look inside that greenhouse. As far as I was concerned, it didn't exist. And one day, I probably ought to uh, thought I should check on it, see what's going on in there. And when I opened the lid, uh, there were monstrous weeds. There were species of weeds I've never seen before. Uh, it was out of hand. And uh, it literally took a wholesale effort just to uh, take back what the weeds had uh, robbed from us. Well, that's a good picture of what happens with our, with our difficulties, with our brokenness with our challenges, with our issues that we have with people, with our spouses and our families. Uh, if we don't face them head on, they actually become uh, larger in our lives. Uh, our worst fears uh, become the next thing that threatens us uh, into a fight or flight response. And the real cost uh, of living with that response to the challenges of life it's impossible to calculate. Uh, we, we begin to get hemmed in in life. Uh, our relationships get stifled. Uh, and life becomes all about managing this inner sense of being threatened or intimidated. We become, uh, we become uh, angry at people that provoke us in any way because it, uh, it becomes uh, a source of vulnerability. Uh, we feel like to be known is to be vulnerable, and it makes us want to get away and escape. Well, nothing could be more debilitating, and nothing could be further from God's will for us who has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Maybe you've heard of the author. Her name is uh, Brené Brown, and uh, she became famous uh, through her TED Talks and uh, then wrote a book called Daring Greatly. And in her book and in her talks, one of the key themes of Brené's life is the idea of vulnerability. And here are some of her thoughts. She says, vulnerability is that sense of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. 
It's that unstable feeling we get when we step out of our comfort zone or we do something that forces us to loosen control on things. This shaky feeling is vulnerability and it it can make you want to turn around and go home uh, where you can escape the potential judgment and critiques of others. See, it's a fear of what is unfamiliar. Uh, But uh, Brené has a different read on vulnerability. In fact, she, she says this, by pushing through those doors, uh, you are doing something far more healthy and transformative. In fact, uh, this is really at the heart of her insights. Vulnerability is the core. It's the heart. It's the center of meaningful human experiences. Hear that again in her viewpoint. Uh, Getting outside of our comfort zone, risking exposure, facing our difficulties, becoming vulnerable by choice is the very heart and center of meaningful human experiences. Uh, Stepping beyond that comfort zone is where life takes place. It's where relationships grow. It's where conviction engages and creates movement in life. It's where faith comes alive. In fact, I would say this, it's where you come alive when we step outside of our comfort zone and enter into that place of vulnerability. Uh, And here's the truth. When we don't take necessary risks in life, we don't experience the rewards of stepping out all of the things we just itemized when we step away from, when we hide from risks and challenges and things that make us slightly uncomfortable or very uncomfortable, we don't experience the rewards of moving forward. Uh, Kind of one last description uh, of uh, Brené Brown's uh, view of vulnerability. It's that space that stands between where you are at and where you would like to be. Hear that again. Vulnerability is that space between where you're currently at and where you would like to be. And for followers of Christ, I believe this with all my heart, that vulnerability is that space between where we're currently at and where God would like to take us, where Jesus, the the pioneer of our faith, is wanting to lead us. And often that involves stepping out of our safety Uh, coming out from behind our hiding and uh, willingly stepping into those vulnerable places so that we can go where he is leading us. I think a great illustration of this is uh, when Peter was with the disciples in the storm-tossed sea and uh, everything's coming apart at the seams and they see Jesus out walking on the waves and uh, Peter moving toward vulnerability Uh, says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter steps out of the boat and into that space called vulnerability. You know, it was messy. It was chaotic. It was fearful. It challenged him in every way possible. But here's the truth. It was a step toward Jesus. And because of that, it was a step toward life and health and liberty, and love, and significance. Is it any wonder that Paul would write to his young uh, protege, Timothy, and say, God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
God has not given us a spirit that makes us want to sidestep life's challenges and to hide from life's difficulties. He's given us just the opposite, spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-control or self-discipline. And, and I, I would say this in this message, God is inviting you. He's inviting me. He's inviting us to live more in alignment with that, that power, that ability, that wherewithal that comes from him and meets with our grit and our resiliency and allows us to willingly step into those places of vulnerability, to be more courageous. And I want to take us to a passage in the Old Testament. It's uh, from uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 13 and 14. And here's a little bit of context on this really inspiring uh, situation where one person decides it's time to uh, step out of hiding and step into that place, that vulnerable place that uh, takes us from where we are at and leads us to where God is wanting us to go. Uh, but in 1 Samuel 13, uh, God's people are living in defeat. They're living in, uh, uh, they've been overrun by their en public enemy, number one, the Philistines. And uh, it's a scene that uh, is meant to show us uh, just how, uh, how on the wrong end of living in victory we can get, even as people of faith, even as people who believe in an all-powerful God, we can accept an existence that is characterized by defeat. And uh, so we're told in uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 19, uh, in describing this place of defeat the Israelites had come to, uh, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. And you say, well, how is that significant? We're about to be told. Because the Philistines have said, Otherwise, the Hebrews might try to make swords or spears. Uh, they might try to fight back. They might try to uh, uh, take some ground. And so uh, they removed every possible source of being equipped for battle. And so verse 20, all of Israel, uh, to add insult to injury, they went down to the Philistines to have their very plow points, uh, uh, axes and sickles sharpened. Uh, in other words, uh, not only did they, were they weaponless and had no means of making weapons, but they were totally dependent on their enemies just to get their farm implements sharpened. And, you know, again, it's a picture of being hemmed in. In fact, uh, we'll find as we read the rest of the story that many of the Israelites were either hiding out in caves or they had uh, turned traitor and uh, left their Israelite uh, companions and were now aligning with the Philistines. They were intimidated. They were resourceless. They were powerless. And uh, I would ask you a question. Does that sound like abundant life? Uh, not at all, because it's not God's will for us to live without resource, to live without the ability to overcome, to break through, and to move forward in our lives. Uh, you know, too often, uh, as the Israelites in this episode as people of faith, we live with the same sense of hopelessness that people who don't even have faith live with. We can experience the same brokenness, and which is you know part of living life in this world, but we almost do it with the same uh, limited sense of resource and empowerment. In fact, Psalm 74 
is all about a, another time in the history of Israel when they had reached a low. Uh, Psalm 74, verse 3, the psalmist says, God, uh, we're, our lives are in destructive state. And they asked God to turn his steps toward these everlasting ruins. All this destruction that our enemies have brought on us. Uh, verse 9, uh, the psalmist says, here's, here's the place we've come to. We are given no signs from God. In other words, God is not doing powerful things among us. There are no prophets left. We're not hearing from God. And none of us knows how long this will be. There's a sense of hopelessness. Uh, things are always going to be this way. Uh, this is just our lot in life. No powerful working of God. No words from God that bring us hope. And no sense of how long this will be. Well, that's not God's will. For his people. There were no blacksmiths in the land, we're told in 1 Samuel 13. There was no power, there was no ability, and there was no way of accessing resources to change their state of life. Uh, as you, you take it to some of the New Testament realities, as followers of Christ, uh, the Bible says we've been uh, clothed with his spirit, we've been uh, received power to be his witnesses in the world. And that's not just to be able to talk intelligently about the hope that we have, though it includes that. But to be empowered to be Christ's witnesses in the world is to live lives that demonstrate his truth, his victory, the reality of his working in us. And uh, in this Old Testament uh, glimpse, it would depict God's people living without those resources and without that empowerment from God that we saw last week, Psalm 110, verse 3, arrayed in holy majesty, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Uh, well, what's being described in 1 Samuel 13 is the opposite of that. Uh, there's no uh, ability and empowerment that's coming from God in order to run to the battle. And so they're doing just the opposite. They're running from it, uh, except... Uh, for one exception, and uh, his name is Jonathan. We'll begin to read about him in verse 22. And we're told, so on the day of battle, when there was yet another opportunity to make a difference, to make some progress in their lives, not a soldier with Saul, uh, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan, his son, had a sword or a spear in his hand. In other words, they were defenseless. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. And uh, it's interesting that uh, now King Saul and his son Jonathan are depicted as the only ones who have resource and power. They're the only ones with a sword or a spear. And uh, what you'll see as the story develops is they represent uh, two ways of either utilizing that power or not. In fact, uh, King Saul, uh, earlier in chapter 13, has just been rebuked by the prophet Samuel. And uh, for this reason, Saul was doing all the right rituals, all the right religious duties, yet his heart was far from God. Uh, he didn't have God's uh, ear, you might say. And uh, so Saul was going through the motions, uh, but there was no reality of God being present with him and in his endeavors. He wanted God's blessing but he wasn't living in a place of responsiveness to God. And that theme of uh, going through the motions, 
without the, the, the reality of God working in him and through him, uh, gets developed as we go through this text. Well, one day, one person, and it happened to be Saul's son, decided enough. Enough, enough is enough. Enough living in shame. Enough living in defeat. Enough avoiding and tiptoeing around our enemies. And so uh, Jonathan does something courageous. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. You might say that Jonathan was sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was tired of being stifled and oppressed and restricted and hindered and limited. And Jonathan came to that point where he discovered his grit. He discovered his inner, inner resiliency. He said, enough. And so uh, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, he said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over. But he did not tell his father. An interesting uh, disposition that Jonathan displays. He's almost saying, look, let's not let today uh, be a repeat of yesterday and rob us of tomorrow's possibilities. Let's, let's draw a line. Let's say that from this time forward, we're going we're gonna to quit being timid and fearful and uh, avoiding uh, what's staring us in the face. We're going toward it rather than run running away. And so verse 2, uh, we're told that uh, while Jonathan is coming to this resolve, his father Saul was staying on the outskirts. Uh, he was remaining in his comfortable place, well away from the battle lines, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. And with him were about 600 men. Must have been a big pomegranate tree. Uh, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. In other words, Ahijah uh, had the clothing of a priest on. And um, he was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, uh, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. And if you know anything about Eli and his sons, they really went off the rails as far as uh, serving God authentically and genuinely. And yet Saul has the trappings of this uh, religious heritage on his side. And uh, no one in that group was aware that Jonathan had left. Uh, see, what's becoming apparent here is when uh, Jonathan is finding his courage, uh, he's finding his sense of uh, uh, who he is as a, as a, a child of Israel, as one of God's chosen people. Uh, while he's doing that, his father Saul is still doing his religious, powerless, uh, empty thing. And so there's this, uh, this contrast between father and son and what Saul ha had settled into. Uh, Jonathan essentially wanted no part of it. In fact, the scripture uh, simply tells us in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, uh, Jonathan did not tell his father what he was thinking what his actions were, what he was planning on doing. Jonathan had decided that this was an occasion not to include Pop. Now we know from the teaching of Scripture that uh, God in, uh, calls us, commands us to honor our parents, and, and yet also uh, we know that at some point uh, there needs to be a launching into our own choices of faith. In fact, Jesus himself said, look, if a man doesn't hate his father and his mother and his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? 
at some point in your life, allegiance to God has to become first, has to reign over every other loyalty and allegiance in life. And so Jonathan decided that what was in his heart to do wouldn't include his father. And I would say it this way, to experience the strength of God, you have to be willing to break from lifeless traditions and powerless religion. You have to be willing to break from powerless religion and lifeless traditions. You can interchange those, by the way. Uh, there has to be that choice uh, that what I'm pursuing uh, is going to be authentic. It's going to be real. It's going to be genuine. Uh, you know, that can be a, a woman who's living in an abusive relationship, a teenager caught in a web of destructive friendships, a man addicted to pornography, a person of color being abused or oppressed by a, a culture of entitlement or supremacy. Uh, at some point, uh, we get to choose. Uh, I'm going to step out of uh, hiding and into that vulnerable place that stands between where I'm at and where I think God would like me to be. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul, when he wrote these words to Timothy that God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, later he would talk about those who hold the form of religion. In uh, chapter 3, verse 5, uh, Paul says, they act as if they worship God, these people that you're contending with, uh, and yet they do not let God's power work in their lives. Keep away from people like that, Paul exhorted Timothy. While Jonathan uh, didn't tell his father about this spark of freedom and courage that it ignited in his heart. And so we're told in verse 4, uh, chapter 14, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sanon. Uh, by the way, uh, one of them means that uh, it, it would glow uh, by the sun's uh, brilliance uh, in the light of day, and the other was just a gnarly, uh, impassable sort of cliff. And uh, really what the writer is trying to say is this place that Jonathan is about to step into, it is indeed a place of vulnerability. There's no escape. Uh, once you're there, you are in it. Uh, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. Uh, see, this decision, this choice uh, that Jonathan is making personifies what author Brené Brown uh, speaks about, that place of vulnerability. And, and I would say that Scripture bears this out, that God meets with us when we step into the place of vulnerability that stands between where we are at and where he's leading us. God meets with us in those places when we step out of hiding, out of our comfort, and into that place that's on the way to where he's taking us. Uh, Jesus often commended those who stepped into vulnerability. Uh, think of the, the woman we, we referenced in the uh, very first part of this series who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was designated unclean and it was not even to associate uh, with people in public. And here in this crowd, she 
steps into her own place of vulnerability, presses through and touches the hem of his garment. Uh, Think of blind Bartimaeus as he hears Jesus approaching. He begins to call out. And uh, again, he would have been seen as as a sinner, that he'd done something to warrant God afflicting him with blindness. And as people told him to quiet down, the scriptures say he called out all the louder. He stepped into that place of vulnerability that stood between where he was at and where he wanted to be. I think of a a group of guys who uh, brought their paralytic friend uh, to be touched by Jesus. When they arrived at the house, it was so full they couldn't get in the door. So they went up on the roof, dug a hole in the roof, lowered their friend. You talk about vulnerability. Uh, Here this guy's uh, coming down through the roof over a crowd of assembled people. Well, in each one of those occasions, uh, Jesus commended them, responded to them, acknowledged their faith. See, it's always a good thing when we step uh, out of our protective bubble and into that vulnerable space because we believe that God has something different for us. And it was contagious. Uh, Verse 7, when Jonathan disclosed what he was about to do, we're told uh, his armor bearer said, do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. What wonderful words as Jonathan uh, took a risk Uh, acted on his courage, his grit, his resiliency, and said, let's go over to these Philistines. Maybe God will help us out. His armor bearer quickly uh, aligned with him. He said, uh, go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. And here's a truth that's uh, magnified in this. Uh, God's power is always magnified in the loyalty of friends. Uh, When one uh, aligns in friendship and love, Uh, with another. Uh, God meets with them in that place. Uh, The scriptures say two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Jesus said when we're praying, uh, find at least one person who can agree with you as touching anything, and God would move. God would respond. I I can't count the number of times when when I've had someone uh, who, uh, in the role of that armor bearer, would say, hey, I'm with you. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in this with you. And that's all it takes, is that, that one agreeing uh, person that God would send to say, hey, what's in your heart? Do it. I'm with you, body, soul, mind, and strength. And so verse 8, Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them, and we'll let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, We will stay where we are and will not go up to them. But if they say, hey, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And so verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us. And we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Now, uh, if you're a strategist and uh, you're thinking about who's got the upper hand here, uh, at least when I think of the situation, 
I would have uh, looked for just the opposite affirmation that God was in this. If, if I was down on that valley floor and yelling up at our enemies, uh, if they would have said, uh, hold on, we're coming down, I would have said, great, you know, they're going to meet us on our terms. Uh, God is going to give us a victory. But Jonathan's interpretation was just the opposite. He said, if they shout to us, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Uh, Jonathan said, at that point, we'll know God has given them into our hands. And it really does highlight this truth that when it comes to powerful, life-changing faith, it's a personal thing. Uh, the willingness to believe that God is in something, uh, that God has spoken something. Uh, someone has said once, God and I are a majority. You know, that's very personal. Uh, it's, it's really up to the, the person who is responding to what God is saying. Uh, I think that um, uh, many of us can relate uh, to the experience of, uh, you know, two people go to the same church service, and uh, one of them leaves and says, you know, this place, nothing's happening here. Uh, nothing exciting, same old, same old. Another person goes to that same service and they leave saying, God was speaking to me the whole time. I can't believe uh, they must have been reading my mail. How would God know that I was going through those things? Uh, what's going on there? Well, one is responding in faith to what is being said. And uh, it ignited something. Uh, in Jonathan, in his armor bearer, and all they needed to hear was this, uh, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. And they knew that at that point, God was with them. Uh, you know, there's an interesting situation in the book of Acts where we're told that Paul was uh, preaching. And uh, as he was preaching, there was one person who was in the crowd that was listening. And uh, towards the end of his message, it said, Paul looked at this man intently and saw that he had faith to be healed. And something powerful happened. What was going on there? As Paul was preaching the word, one man stood out. And there was an eagerness in him. There was a leaning in that somehow God's truth met with his inner resolve that it's time for things to change. And God met him in that moment. Uh, I had a friend who... Uh, who lived in Los Angeles, a young married couple at the time. And uh, one night he sat up in bed, woke his wife up, and he said, Honey, I think God is telling me we're supposed to leave the city. And she cleared her foggy head for a moment. What do you mean? He said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I think God's saying we need to get in our car and flee the city. So they uh, got some clothes, got in their little sports car, and off they went towards the San Bernardino uh, Mountains. And uh, he said as they, they drove up to what felt like a safe height, parked overlooking the, the L.A. basin, they waited, and they waited. And finally the sun began to rise, beautiful uh, Los Angeles morning. And uh, as uh, the day began to warm, his wife said, well, maybe nothing's going to happen today. And he felt sheepish. He apologized for taking her on this wild goose chase. And uh, I love what uh, he reported his wife said to him. She said, honey, I would much rather have you uh, think you heard God and act on it than think you heard God and ignore it. Uh, hear that again. Uh, 
Her words to him were in that moment of embarrassment. Honey, I would much rather have you think you heard God and act on it than think that you heard God and ignore it. And I think that is so critical when it comes to the kind of faith that, that impassions us, it exhorts us, it ignites us to step beyond our comfort zones, to come out of hiding and to go into that place of vulnerability where God can do something powerful. And as we'll finish this story, God indeed did do something powerful. We're told that Jonathan and his armor bearer routed the Philistines, and through that battle, uh, the rest of the Israelites begin to, uh, rather than run away from the battle lines, begin to run toward them. Uh, people came out of hiding. They came out of their holes in the ground. Even Jonathan's father, Saul, made a move to re-engage in what God was doing. See, here's the truth. Um, others will always be impacted by our choices to live with the power of God or to uh, ignore it. Uh, we can make choices to uh, accept a spirit of fear and timidity and anxiety, uh, avoiding uh, the issues that all of us uh, must deal with day in and day out, or we can tap in to this incredible uh, ability that God wants to mingle with our own resolve and help us to advance in our lives. You know, the Bible says um, that the sins of the fathers will be passed on to the third and fourth generations. Uh, and you could translate that into our uh, text this morning. Uh, the, the, the issues, the defeats, uh, the, uh, the things that need to be addressed that we choose to avoid, those things will be passed on. Others will be impacted by our defeats. Uh, but here's the other side of that promise uh, from uh, the, the book of Deuteronomy. The sins will be passed on to the third and fourth generations, but the blessings of God will be passed on to a thousand generations. Uh, our victories, those advances, those choices we make to, to not run from the battle, but to step into that place of vulnerability, that will bear fruit not only in our own lives, but in the lives of many who are influenced by us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for your invitation uh, to respond to your desire to uh, give us ability, to strengthen us, to uh, clothe us, not with a spirit of fear or uh, being uh, avoiders of the challenges of life, but that spirit that says, what's next? Uh, perhaps God will do something great in this situation, uh, but I know this, uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and let life pass me by. I'm going to step into those places where I think God is wanting to take me. Uh, I want to pray uh, for anyone that's, uh, maybe you feel like, you know, I have been hiding in a cave. I have been beaten down. I, I am living in that place where I don't feel like I have the weaponry I need to advance in my life. God wants to meet you there. God wants to help you in that place. Lord, I pray for any that are feeling uh, oppressed, that are feeling beaten down, that maybe would be in that place where the Israelites were, Lord, not living within the promise 
that you have for them, Lord, I pray that right now uh, you would uh, meet with them. There would be that matching of faith, Lord, with your word in their situation, and something would spark in them, Lord. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your promise. You said a bruised reed I'll not break, and a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. So, Lord, come uh, where there's strength is wavering, uh, where there's not that, that vigor and that uh, energy to move forward in life, Lord, and would you breathe on that, fan that into flames. Uh, you know, maybe as you've heard this message, uh, you've been on that pathway of powerless religion. Maybe you're going through the motions, but you're seeing that uh, there's still areas of your life that desperately need to experience God's victory and God's strength. And uh, you're tired of doing life. You don't want to continue the pathway of Saul, who, who went through the steps, went through the motions. He had the form of religion, but he denied the power of it to change his life. And uh, Lord, if any are caught in that those routines uh, where you know doing Christianity, uh, doing the God thing, isn't really bringing freedom, isn't bringing health into their homes, into their marriages, into their relationships, it isn't deepening their experience of God. Lord, you can break through that. You can change that in a moment, Lord. And I pray for the ability to do that, to make those choices, to step in to the life that you're holding forward. And Lord, maybe for some, uh, we're just comfortable. You know, we're like, we're like Peter in that boat and uh, we don't wanna take that step into that place of vulnerability. Lord, I, I pray for a storm. Uh, not that we haven't been through one in the last year, but Lord, I pray that if any of us have settled into those places where we choose comfort over choosing the adventure of living with you, Lord, that our boat would start to rock. We'd see you in the middle of those chaotic circumstances, and Lord, there'd be something in us would say, this is what I signed up for. This is why I became a follower of Jesus, because I want to go where he's leading, and I pray those things in Jesus' mighty name. And Maybe you're hearing this message. You've never opened your heart to Christ, but uh, as you've, uh, you've heard about the plan of God to give you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, you want that. And you know that that's wrapped up in your response to Jesus Christ. I want to lead you in acknowledging that. Just speak to him. Say, Lord, thank you for what I've heard today. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for your willingness to bring your power and your ability into my battles. Lord, I want to open my heart to you. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to thank you for what you did on the cross. And Lord... Would you see in me that I have the faith uh, to receive from you? Uh, would you ignite uh, that, that honest response to you in my own heart? I welcome you into my life. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.